Welcome back to university, everybody. The what are we again? <laughs> Welcome back to university. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to university, everybody. The show where we talk about where we explore. <clears throat> Welcome back. <laughs> Two, one. Welcome back to University, everybody, the podcast where we explore the hard-hitting questions about Earth, existence, and the unknown. My name's Judson Martin, your host, and with me, as always, is my co-host, as our co-host, the co-host of the show, AJ. <laughs> AJ Perrin. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And first try, too, you got that whole thing in one shot. Yep, we haven't done that four times. Just yeah. make sure you listen to the end of the episode where I play nope. every single one of those back. <laughs> no, um, uh, yeah, what's up, guys? Judd, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, It's man. a beautiful day outside, like... Or it's a, no, it's a beautiful day to be inside. Like the way it was just like a little chilly outside and like no sun just made me want to like cozy up in the studio and talk I think about it's stuff. still the perfect temperature to be outside. But. Oh, okay. So today we're going to be talking about asteroid, asteroids. A- yeah, <laughs> asteroid exploration yeah. missions. Yes, yeah, so we've got two huge missions that are either uh, or at different stages of their like life cycle um, yeah. that are doing important work right now and we're going to highlight it. Do you like to use like a green or yellow highlighter when you're highlighting? That's a really strange or like question. Like pink or blue, I guess. What's that have to do with anything? You just said we're gonna highlight. Oh, and okay. so I thought about which color you might. Yellow. Use. It's okay. a standard. Sure. It's pretty much standard. Um, yeah, bye bye. <laughs> no, you're good. Do you um, have any news? I do have news. Actually, just showed up this morning, and I was. It was like it was like a miracle that I, I. The news that I had, I actually ended up making it this entire episode topic, which has to do with the psyche mission. But oh. something popped up this morning. I was like, boom, we have news. We're back to news, guys. Sure. Listen to this, Judd. Prada. Do you know Prada? Like the expensive clothes company? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They've partnered with Axiom Space to design the next-gen spacesuits for walking on the other planets. The next-gen, like after the ones that Collins just did? Yeah, because I think they're doing like... EMU stuff, so outside of like yeah. the space station, and then Axiom is also also released. Then remember the black one, Prada. That was yeah, yeah. I think they're Designer the ones that are going to be inside, suits. like in you wear it inside the spaceship, well, right? I guess that could be because like SpaceX, maybe that's more of a use because you know yeah. they need to have fashion shows in the space yeah, shuttle, yeah, stuff, so. or just like they're taking videos of it. I don't know, but anyway, the video I saw it was like, oh, here are the concept images. They're fake. If you see concept images online, they're not real. The partnership was like just announced, so they haven't designed anything or released anything officially. Um, I think most of the ones that I saw were AI generated, but it still looked cool. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" This it looked literally looked like it was out of a like No Man's Sky, or a video game of some kind. Yeah. Um. Anyway, let's so get right into brain games. Brain my games. favorite segment. Um. Anyway, so the for brain games this week, Judd, do you think yours is better than mine? Because you can go second. Then mine is interesting to me. I feel like you might have something more interesting to the general well well you can you can you can start but yeah so anyways i was watching this video about just kind of like how natural phenomena as far as a distribution of for example wealth there's this distribution called the pareto distribution or the 2080 rule the idea is that if you say are in a company 20 percent of your employees do about 80 percent of the work oh well yeah or so you have these high performing high performers. Or if you if you're looking at one specific, let's a diagram. Uh, what would, what would I call that? One a specific di dia. Di- uh, no, there's a dia word. One specific. I'm gonna 
population? What are you sure? Yeah, about? let's look at a pop one okay. specific population. Yeah, in a let's just cut all this out. Okay, I'm not cutting it out. Keep, keep, keep it going. All right, so I'm going to talk about the Pareto distribution <laughs> <laughs> or the uh, the eighty twenty rule okay. or twenty eighty rule. Yep. So this is saying that about twenty percent of your if you run a company, for example, twenty percent of your workers are doing about eighty percent of your work. Yeah. So if you're given a certain population, the idea is that there are some high performers within that population that are outperforming the others in that population by a large margin. So this was like I didn't know you were collecting stats on my work. No, <laughs> you are probably in the bottom 10%. But <laughs> it's actually a lot worse than this is what we've found. So we've actually found that usually it's around 10. So if you have a given population of 100 people, it's usually around 10% do 50% of the work. So if you take a given population, you do the square root of the number in that population, then about that many people do 50% of the work. Okay, so the square of the population does most of the work. Yeah, in a given in a given population set, okay. in some metric that you can measure performance in. Okay. But so like out the the amount of revenue I'm generating in my company, if I have 100 employees, the root of that 10 10 employees are generating 50% of the, my revenue. If yeah, for example, you were doing like sales or something like yeah. that, or I guess that's yeah, if you were looking at sales for 100 employees, you would imagine that about 10% of yeah. your employees would be like the Dwight Schrute of sales. Right. Yeah, okay. So if we look at distribution of wealth in the United States, it turns out about 10% of the population actually controls even more, 68% of the wealth. Wow. So it's even that's even a, a larger you know s- distribution than we would expect. Yeah. So the 80-20 rule, the way I know it, the reason I said I, 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 I thought I know what you're going to talk about is the 80-20 rule is something we learn about in industrial engineering. It, it means 80% of the problems are caused by 20% of the of by 20% of causes. Yeah. So it's about the same thing. So yeah, it's so like, it, but instead of looking at um, output, you're looking at issues. So anyway, so today we're going to be talking about that's brain gains for you. Today we're going to be talking about two important asteroid missions, and the first one we're going to be starting with is called the Osiris Rex mission, um, which. Maybe a brief description of that. It started in, or it w- was launched in September of 2016. And just recently, uh, the reason I think it's important to talk about it is because on the 24th of September, the payload was delivered to uh, Earth, which yeah. makes it the first ever um, U.S. mission to deliver a sample from an asteroid. I don't know if it's the first one in the world or anything like that. I, could, I, I think it could be. I would it imagine. Because yeah. um, it's a pretty big deal. But so uh, basically... The asteroid is named Bennu, and a quick fun fact about the naming of it. So it was named after this 13-year-old from North Carolina, um, but basically he won a naming competition that was put out to decide what to call this asteroid. It, it had like a name, including a year, like 1997 XB, whatever. Yeah, whatever. And then they rechanged it when they decided they were going to launch to it. And it, the reason it's named Bennu, this kid was pretty smart, I guess, because Bennu has to do with... Uh, the, uh, there's an Egyptian deity named Bennu who has to do with creation and rebirth, which will make more sense in context about this asteroid as we continue to talk about it today, I think. Yeah. So we could break down the name for you, but I don't th- I don't think it's going to be lucrative. Um, instead, I'll just say what OSIRIS-REx stands for, which is Origins Spectral Interpretation Resource Identification Security Regolith Explorer, um, which is long-winded in each of those... Uh, means something specific about the mission objectives. But I think an important one maybe to highlight is, um, so first of all, if you've never heard the the word regolith, that just refers to 
kind of like the outer surface of um, okay, yeah. I was just going to ask what regolith was. Yeah, regolith is like in 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 terms of terrain, what's on top, the stuff that's on top. Um, but so security, that's the one I want to highlight, and it's this thing called the Yarkovsky effect. Um, so you might be thinking, like, why do they need to do a mission about asteroid security? Well, this asteroid actually makes dangerously close pass passes at Earth. Ben is a big deal. Um, we're talking about like we could predict it. It's many uh, many years down the line, actually, actually colliding with us. Yeah, because I, I looked at well, I was looking at these graphs of, or I guess yeah, they were sort of graphs or maps of the trajectories of everything. And Bennu has a really similar orbit to the sun as we do. Like it's uh, the same sort of radius almost. So it's it literally has almost the same um, trajectory as Earth does. Yeah. So the thing about security is that I mentioned the Yarkovsky effect. What this is is that when an asteroid rotates it emits heat, and the heat that is emitted from this can be so strong, it can actually change the asteroid's orbit, which makes it hard to predict its movement. So if we go to this asteroid and learn a little bit more about its composition and stuff like that and how this, this heat that's radiating off of it, perhaps that will tell us more about precautions that we might need to take in the future, like blowing this shit up, you know? Blowing it up. I can imagine well, that as a real possibility. If an well, we just did another, we didn't blow it up, but we did another, we just launched another mission Oh, recently. yeah, we were like testing it. That uh, was a couple was months called? ago or like something. Bolt or something like that. Yeah. NASA actually did a, well, a, it was called NASA DART mission, uh, and this was just to, it launched a spacecraft, small spacecraft at an asteroid to see if we could deflect it off its orbit, and it actually worked, so this nice. was something that we could use. That poor asteroid, out of nowhere, it's been hitting the same orbit for a billion years and just gets knocked into some other uh, some other trajectory. Anyway, so... Yeah, poor thing. It, it could have caused an extinction event, but, you know. But why does NASA actually want a sample from this asteroid, you know? Because it, it, in, in all other senses, why isn't it just another big space rock that we can basically uh, ignore? Well, this is because they hope it will tell us more about the origins of the planet and even life on Earth because uh, Bennu has been around since the birth of our solar system, essentially. So if we can go to a celestial object that's been here um, as long as the Earth has been forming, and they p perhaps had a collision history, maybe there's evidence to be collected on the surface of this asteroid um, that will tell us exactly what that history was. Yeah. Anyway, Judd, what's that New Frontiers program? Because um, this is the third mission, OSIRIS-REx is the third mission of the New Frontiers program. Yeah, I saw... Well, actually, yeah, so it is the third. And then the fourth one will be this other one that I was talking about. So um, <clears throat> so the New Frontiers program is... Uh, it's a program... It's a series of missions that NASA has put on to add to the planetary data system, um, which that is a collection of maps, data, and applications that all scientists have free access to. So it's just creating these tools that... Like us. Scientists, yeah, we, we yeah. could probably get access to these tools. So that'd be pretty cool. Um, and then it also wants to implement new technological advancements in these um, space exploratory, exploratory. Exploratory is what I said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> missions. So some of these missions um, were or are going to be. So one that's the next mission after this OSIRIS-REx mission is the Dragonfly mission. Um, so this is a quadcopter that's going to go explore Titan. And there's another one. Juno, which is going to peer through Ju Jupiter's atmosphere and um, nice. try to analyze it. And then New Horizons, which is a mission that closely studied Pluto and is now traveling into deep space. That's really cool. I think 
so the 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 new frontiers program essentially what I got from that is we want to explore kind of our own solar system and what celestial what we can uncover about the celestial bodies in our solar system and then also be testing out new technologies to get better at acquiring this information yeah yeah the the quadcopter thing is sick yeah because we well we did the drone on um the moon so that was on mars i got them backwards so yeah yeah, it was on the moon it was on the mars that's what i said on On the mars Mars. yep Yep. the one and only nice well okay so let's 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 peer back a little ways um talk more about osiris the osiris x mission now part of the new frontiers program let's back up to 2016 uh the spacecraft launches and just in for this kind of blew my mind a little bit and maybe it doesn't blow your mind as much because you know you are an aerospace person studying aerospace within four days of leaving earth it was going fast enough to reach an orbit around the sun yeah i don't you know and it It takes it takes light eight minutes it's yeah i think it's eight seconds to the moon and then maybe eight minutes Minutes. okay but regardless it's like it takes if it takes light just like that long just like in four days we were still able to traverse that from moon to Earth is 1.3 seconds, so that was not eight to the moon. Yeah. Okay, so we know nothing. <clears throat> nope. Nope. Um, but it takes us. It takes some time, and I'm just surprised by the fact that we could get a spacecraft to the sun in four days. Yeah, that thing had to have been moving pretty Quick. fast. Yeah. I know. And then the thrusters that are on the spacecraft, it's got four different sets, which is kind of just for redundancy of maneuvers. Apparently, that's that's what I gained from this, but they control altitude and all different sorts of movements. And, you know, I'm think, I'm sitting over here thinking, like, they probably don't expect to be making a lot of maneuvers or something like that, but that's not the case. That There's people at NASA constantly in communication with the spacecraft just making, like, trying to decide if you need to make micro adjustments. Like, one of the ones I read was, um, in 2016, the altitude control systems fired just for a couple seconds, just to change the velocity by about 19 inches per second. And like the thing yeah. was already moving thousands of miles an hour or something like that, right? A, a small change went in uh, from our perspective, but I think when we're talking about traveling space, that's a, a large change, you know? Yeah. Because to meet up with a moving planet on these scales, yeah. you need to be perfect. When NASA sends out spacecrafts like that, they're usually using other planets and the sun and stuff like that to make um, course corrections based off of the gravity. Um, and one thing I thought was interesting is that, so it goes out to the sun, but then it comes back to earth, you know, cause we're rotating and, um, stuff around the sun and all whatever math. So it goes back towards earth and it got to like take some pictures as a flyby. Which they got pictures of the moon too. And those ones. Oh, moon cool. as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, it's, it's nice to get refreshingly high resolution photos of your own planet, I guess. So it arrives to the asteroid in 2018 and it starts, t- the first thing it has to start doing is taking pictures of the surface essentially, because the mission team has to decide where's the safe spot to land. Cause yeah. you, w- we've been taking pictures of it from hundreds of thousands of miles or whatever, up incredibly long distance. Yeah, so it's hard to take away. a good picture of an asteroid, especially since it's small, you know, it's different taking a picture of Jupiter, but this is tiny. Right. And they were talking about how, um, as Bennu, or as uh, Osiris-Rex was approaching Bennu, it started off as just one pixel and then slowly grew into yeah. a full image. This is too far away, f- at least for visible light, to be seeing where these rocks are yeah. you know, located. Like, we can't see a sharp rock that, hey, yeah. we can't land there. The fact that we were From even Earth. able to detect the asteroid in the first place, that's some cool technology, just being able to pick up stuff that that's, that's that small. In order to find these... So imagine we're taking a picture of, say, a cube. So... If we're looking at one side of the cube, right, we can't see any 
depth to that cube nice, or any yeah. rocks. So we need to take a uh, image from six different sides to see every single side's depth or like large oh, boulders yeah. on the surface. So it took scans of uh, six sides on the asteroid to see any bulges or rocks that were going to be in the way. And then, so this was a, a large scale kind of find large boulders that we automatically kind of exit. Yeah, we need to stay area. away from, yeah. Basically, we're starting to see why this mission was taking years and years because we have to do so much imaging and stuff like that. Yeah, so yeah. I was really shocked reading about this mission to see just how many times that we need to adjust the trajectory of this um, Me too. That's, yeah. this satellite Me or like too. how many adjustments we were making to its path because it was going all over the place. So yeah, at this point, it's not orbiting the, uh, it's not within the orbit of Bennu yet. So Bennu has a really small orbit because it's a small celestial body. So to have more pull than the sun does or any other yeah. celestial body, would it'd have to be pretty close. So it's a small orbit. So at this point, when we're doing these large scans, we're still outside of Bennu's orbit. So right. fairly far away compared yeah. to some scans that we'll talk about later that are done within orbit. Nice. After it found a safe sampling site, um, they, they found a young crater, um, relatively young crater. And the reason why this is important is because if it's, you know, relatively, I don't know, that, that's literally the only word I know how to describe it. I don't know how many years they expected yeah. it to be old, but right. if if it's a younger crater on the surface of the asteroid, you're going to get even more closer to accurate data about its composition. Because if we're trying to go scoop up a sample of stuff, we want it to be, have just kind of like recently, more recently overturned so that the stuff we're picking up uh, can provide yeah, us with more information rather than something that's been compacted in cemented for yeah, things billions. just settle over time i mean yeah. that's something we observe here on earth as well the other thing is that, that i found interesting about it was that on new year's eve um i can't remember i think this was also in 2018 new year's eve potentially um it entered Bennu's orbit um and this made it the uh smallest orbit that we've ever put a spacecraft into around a an object which was kind of cool like closest you mean smallest is in closest yeah, yeah so okay. it's like the tightest orbit or smallest orbit yeah. um and then another thing was, so it did those large scans that I was talking about, the six different ones, and then it moved into orbit and it did more scans. And they actually had four potential landing sites that they were looking at. And then they narrowed this down to two and then they took spectroscopy scans at each of these. A, spectro a, spectros <clears throat> Man. a spectroscopy scan um, is looking at the contents of the, the rock or the the material at that site. So we're looking at what is actually there so we can determine which one of these samples is going to be most beneficial to us. So before it chose this young crater, it was actually it actually scanned it and some other locations, trying to figure out the contents of that area. Nice. And so finally, uh, eventually in 2020, um, Bennu has finished its long, arduous task of taking a bunch of pictures of this thing and decides to go in for what's called the touch-and-go maneuver, which actually, uh, so the, the acronym is TAG, and if you've ever played the game of TAG, I had heard this before. Like, that's what TAG is. It stands for touch and go. But now we yeah. use TAG as a... Interesting. As a, as just a, you know, a, a word in right. the dictionary. But it stands for touch and go. And so they use that again. Yeah, so in order to... So before it went down and touched the surface, like we've already talked about, it mapped the entire asteroid out of orbit. It then entered orbit and flew over the four candidate sites that they selected and then narrowed those down to the two candidate sites, and then they did a spectral scan at each of these places to decide which one to go with. And then once we finally had that young crater site, like you mentioned, um, we did two rehearsal flights um, just to see how kind of close that we could get and what, like, 
if we could match this asteroid speed yeah. um, correctly. So oh, that makes sense. It went out of orbit, came in, like and then tested, by, yep, like, and then yeah. went out, and then did it again. Yeah. And so like we've already talked about three different scans and two rehearsal missions. So think about yeah. how many times we're changing the trajectory of this satellite and this. Each of these is using fuel and all these other things. Yeah. And so it's just kind of interesting how we were able to do so much with just one spacecraft. And the funny thing is it takes a lot of, like, imagine the planning it takes to decide uh, what you're going to do and what order you're going to do it and how much resources right. you have on board to do uh, these maneuvers. And then think about the fact that somebody before it even launched decided on everything that's going to happen. Right. You know, they were like, okay, well, if, if four years from now we finally get to this asteroid, we're going to do this, this, and this. And then somebody had to make a model to decide uh what to put on board this spacecraft essentially yes yeah. and this is all back when we had the pictures we had at Bennu were still like pixels right and we're like planning out a mission to go here but anyways we've done all these scans we've chose our location let's get down to how we we get the rock off the planet so you can take from the rock from the planet but you can never take the planet from the rock does that not work yeah um okay no i think it worked it did I just had to think about it. Could you take a planet from the rock? No, because if a rock's there, then like you at least have the start of a planet. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Anyways, so <laughs> keep going, bro. Tag now me. we've done this tag, tag, touch and go sample acquisition. So how this works is we fold in the solar arrays or we pull them back to protect them while we're going to go um, cr basically crash into this asteroid and when i say crash it's at a very slow pace so we're moving at actually centimeters per second towards the asteroid which is like how fast maybe an ant walks so we're going really really slow here and then we touch down we make impact with the the asteroid and then we're going to blast high pressure nitrogen which is going to stir up the asteroid soil so instead of like digging this stuff out we're going to blast it with high air, pressure nitrogen yeah. or air and we're going to kind of dry it out of the earth, dry out of the soil asteroid, or whatever, and dry, yeah. out of the, dry out the soil and the rocks. This capsule is designed to capture the dirt and the, the rocks and things like that, but then let that nitrogen go back out into space. How long did the tag take? That's a question I had that I guess I didn't have an answer, but I know it was quick, right? Like they can just fly in, shoot the nitrogen, scoop up the sample, and as soon as they see that their sample is like adequately full, they just leave, right? I guess I don't know how long it took them right. to suck the, the sample out. I'm guessing pretty quick because we used high pressure. It says it uses high pressure nitrogen, yeah. which is... Yeah, it's not like they're like blowing this nitrogen for like minutes. Right. Yeah. So I'm guessing that was a pretty fast event. But I do know once they've, once they've gathered, the, gathered the sample, they pull back from the asteroid and they start to analyze it while we're in space. So they use what's called a SAM cam and this was just to that is the name that's hilarious that you said that because that's the name the guy who was going to come and take photos of us today Sam cam that's his name on Instagram <laughs> is funny. the official Sam cam keep going anyways the Sam cam um, takes pictures of the yeah the can the sampling device yeah, yeah. To just to see if there's any debris on the outside um, because we're going to end up placing this inside of a capsule and we want to make sure it's not going to... It's a tight fit, yeah. yeah. So we can't have anything blocking that or getting in the way. So we take pictures. We find there's nothing there. So then what we do is we extend this arm that has the... The, sam the, the arm that has yeah. the canister or whatever that we gathered the sample with. We extend it all the way out, and then we start spinning the um, 
the satellite. Oh, to throw it against the sides of the container? No, so this oh. was to actually measure the mass. So we were going to oh, measure okay. the change in inertia of this as we spin it in a circle. Yes. So now we know the exact mass. We know that we're not going to have any issues when we're placing this sample inside of the return capsule. Replace the sample within the capsule, close it off, and now we're returning back to Earth. The fact that they could, so I think that the target amount of stuff they wanted to collect was 60 grams. And so the fact that they can do this spinning operation and, or whatever and determine the mass and then still be communicating this information back to Earth, like that stuff always just is very impressive to me. These minute details that NASA is constantly um, trying to collect and trying to analyze all while remotely, right? right? We need to know the exact mass because yeah. now we have to use that in all of our calculations for how heavy the spacecraft is oh on its my, way back yeah. to Earth. So we just changed. That? So yeah. that's why it was important to measure it at that time. Yeah. But anyways, so now we've returned to Earth. We just made it back from our however long journey, really long, couple of years. Important point about the delivery, they didn't, the spacecraft didn't land, right, on Earth. Yeah. It kept going to another asteroid and just kind of dropped from thousands of miles above the Earth, dropped this canister and it like perfectly lined up to um, collide into our planet. Yeah, so we, we detached the capsule from OSIRIS-REx about four hours prior to the sample's arrival at Earth. So four hours before it even goes to Earth, it's, it was detached from the capsule. So we set it on a perfect trajectory. Um, and then it floated back down on a parachute into the Utah desert. We transported that from the Utah desert to the Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas, and now... We were analyzing it, so pretty cool. Yeah, and speaking of analyzing it, so um, NASA did their kind of like first look thing. Like they're like, okay, we got the sample in. We're gonna go quick. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna do a press release about what we found by October 11th, and then we're gonna keep analyzing it after that. Um, and first and foremost, they set aside 70% of this sample for future generations to study. They were like, let's the stuff that we look at now and over the next couple of years it would be not smart of us to just like all start diving into this one thing. What if we mess it up? What if we um, come up with a study later that is more important that we want to look at this sample for or whatever? So they set aside part of it, which I thought was uh, good future planning. They finally open it up. So there's like, you said there's the canister that goes into another container, right? Yeah. They open the container lid. Sorry. Um, they open the container lid and there's like a bunch of bonus material that it was, there was like, Basically, they had collected too much, too much. Not, yeah. And that's not a problem at all. They, they were saying, um, like, that's the best problem to have is that they literally have more than they could have, like, tried to collect. So th their sample is basically running over. The sample runneth over, I think, was a, like, a, like a quote I read on uh, one of the articles. But so they, they, they are obviously very excited for this. In the process that took the longest, right, for, like, the first couple of days was not the x-ray techniques and stuff they were using to decide what is actually in these embedded in these rocks no it was the transferring it from one container to another container and then freezing that in nitrogen and then opening this container and doing this and doing that they, they had facilities that were built just for the purpose of yeah. analyzing these rocks and so they planned when this gets back we are going to start tearing it apart and we're going to be very methodical about it and this is all we're going to do and i think that's awesome because it's like if you, if you see pictures of it too, we got people with giant white suits and gloves and everything reaching for these rocks because that's important. We need to preserve its integrity. Right, and we've done something very similar with the moon rocks. They have developed their whole facilities for that, and you have to be in full white suits and and all that just to go into that facility as well. So it's you're saying the moon rock I bought from the gift store um, was not was not yeah, real, that not wasn't authentic. The real one, no. oh. Sorry. So they had 
a bunch of techniques. I won't even get into them. I don't even know what these are. They said we did scanning electron microscope, infrared measurements, x-ray diffraction. I don't, you know, I don't know what this is, but boom, October 11th hits. I wake up first article. I see carbon and water. What is it? Like, I don't, I, sure. I, what do you, what do you conclude from that? And so this is what I found. Apparently NASA thinks that the, this is, comes back to the, the name Bennu, why it was selected in the first place and, and, and rebirth and whatnot. Apparently, NASA thinks that the origins of life on Earth could have been seeded in its past by this asteroid based on some collision history that we aren't fully aware about. So by analyzing this, we can learn a little bit more about the origins of life in our solar system and possibly even the early formation of our planet. Yeah, so I know, I don't know if this is just hypothesized or proven, um, but all of the water on Earth is was suspected to suspected to have come from asteroids. Um, yeah. So there's one period during Earth's existence, very early on during the creation of Earth, where we were f- basically floating through this asteroid belt and just impacted by millions of asteroids over millions of years. And yeah. each of these asteroids the had... The great asteroid rain, essentially. Yeah, it had yeah. water in it. And and that's how we have the water that we have here on Earth now, the oceans. Yeah. Which and now it just comes straight out of our tap. Imagine that. You know, yeah. At one point, people on this Earth had to wait for an asteroid to collide with them to get water. Yeah, the I'm people. The people, yeah. yeah. I know, I'm joking. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think that's a great point you bring up. That goes back to like an ancient episode like a year ago that we did. Maybe the first even episode we ever talked about on this podcast. We pr- brought that up, the fact that the asteroids were delivering the water. And not to be like existential or like oddly thinking, but that's just so, it's one of those things you think about that's so perfect that... Um, the history of our planet included water essentially being delivered to us by asteroids and accumulating over billions of years. And then you, that water cooled our planet down and down and helped us form into, you know, what we know today. And then from there, the carbon and the organic material started to build right. life. Yeah. My other thoughts on Bennu. If you are very interested in this mission and you like to collect postage stamps, you're in luck. Because the U.S. has um, a special postage stamp officially for Bennu that you can go and grab now, probably at your local post office. Do you collect postage stamps, Judd? I don't personally, no. Um, Another thing I thought was interesting about this mission, they did a fake unboxing, essentially, of the asteroid sample to, like, test all these maneuvers and stuff of canisters and trade-offs and whatnot um, to make sure that they could preserve the integrity of the sample. Um, So they were, like, playing with these funny differently shaped marbles essentially um to try to test this stuff i don't know they, they think about everything uh yeah no they really do oh also if you um ever want to see one of these samples in real life this fall some of the original stuff that they took this quick look at is going to be passed around to the smithsonian space center in houston and uh, the university of arizona so if you happen to be from any of those places or whatever uh find a time where you can go take a peek at rocks from hundreds of thousands of miles away. Pretty cool. Yeah. And from just so long, yeah, that's just such so long ago from so far away. And I mean, these are, again, what we believe brought all the water on earth, so. Very, okay, Jed, how about we take a break and then we jump back into it, hit Psyche just as hard. See you in a minute, guys. All right, welcome Yay. back from the break, everybody. Now we're going to touch on a completely different um, asteroid exploration mission, um, Psyche. Yeah, Psyche just 
launched. Um, imagine it's imagine it's just psych, and we go the whole episode saying psyche. Like I'm ninety percent, ninety five, ninety nine percent sure that it is. But you t- no, I know, I know it's psyche. Oh, okay, I and then I trust you. I trust you. I trust you, bro. But now you're making me not trust myself. So let's see here. Okay. 16 Psyche is an asteroid. There we go. Okay, no, it was Psyche. Perfect. Good check, Judd. Good check. Good thing somebody said something. I knew that it was Psyche. I just no, knew it because no, I watched a vid- another video. But whatever. Okay. Here we are. Here we are. Um, Psyche just launched like last week, I'm pretty sure. So by the time this episode comes out, maybe it's two weeks or something like that. But anyway, launched very recently um, in the... This is just a quick point on the launch um, before we get into what the spacecraft is and where it's going and all that stuff. Um, and actually, an interesting point. This mission is going... Okay, it's going to the asteroid Psyche, just like the other one was going to the asteroid Bennu. Yeah. So it's psyching th- me out. Yeah, okay. It was attached to two... Um, the spacecraft that launched it was attached to two Falcon Heavy rockets. And the thing that I'd forgotten about for heavy Falcon Heavies is that they land themselves. So this was one of those times where we launched something into space and then the boosters came down successfully and landed themselves so we can reuse them um another time they're 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 quad quad pod like the opposite tripod but plus one the <laughs> tripod plus one legs like expanded and these rockets were able to stabilize yeah, themselves yeah. which is sick it's cool it's i mean that's a very a difficult feat to accomplish and yet we've now gotten pretty good at this and we are able to replicate it a lot and at least spacex is so the Psyche mission is going to the asteroid Psyche, like I said. And the reason we're doing this is because we want to know a little bit more information about the formation of terrestrial planets. Terrestrial meaning Earth. Terrestrial meaning Mars. Terrestrial meaning Venus. It means it's mostly composed, the, the rocks within it is most composed of silicate uh, rocks or metals. We're looking at it Psyche and we're thinking this could be the early core of a planet like Earth, like Mars, like Venus. Right. And so if we go here and we analyze it, we might... Think about Earth. We can't drill a hole into Earth and go check out our core and learn more about it or whatever. We can make very good inferences about it based on density calculations, based on gravity, based on magnetic fields, stuff like that. Yeah. But how do we know for certain unless we're studying other terrestrial objects that are at the beginning of their life cycles. And so if we go to Psyche, we can learn exactly that. Yeah, so the idea was that a long time ago, this was at least a beginning of the core of a small planet. And for whatever reason, it didn't form. So now the core is still here, so we were able to study that. I wish the planets almost formed faster so that we could experience one in our lifetime. You know what I'm saying? Like a new planet adding. We lose a planet, Pluto, but then we gain a planet. Yeah, what would we name it? Um, planet, planet Dudo. <laughs> yeah. No, we probably name it as like, yeah, I don't know. Dudo is better though. Anyways, so the cool thing about the, since it was a a core of a, or it's, it was going to be a core of a planet, there's very heavy metals in here and there's a lot of them. So mm-hmm. the one very interesting fact for a lot of people about this asteroid is that it is worth a whopping 10,000 quadrillion dollars. Quadrillion with a K. And that is just, that's with a Q. Oh. But that is just the, that's just the iron that's on this planet. So this is just an estimate. However, the value is actually expected to be higher. So, and, and to put that into perspective, the world's GDP a couple of years ago was only on the magnitude of hundreds of trillions of dollars. So we're looking at something worth more than all the money on Earth. 
If you could somehow get all the metal and bring it back. Yeah, I was going to say, if you hitch a, t- hitch a trailer to this asteroid and just start driving it back yeah, and then just... collide it with our planet. Um, I'm not surprised that that's the thing everybody's interested about because $100 quadrillion could buy you a couple things for sure. And not even that, but also... I'd say 110000 my bad. Yeah, 10,000 quadrillion. I underestimated. Yeah, 10,000 quadrillion. And, you know, a lot of people think about the money aspect of space mining, which is obviously the most attractive part to companies and things like that. But being able to use mining practices, mining practices in space will be a lot better for the environment than mining practices on Earth, as well as just adding to the amount of metal that we have on Earth so we won't run out, things like that. So it's, it's very, it's definitely going to be something that we need in the future as humanity to keep the going. amount of rolexes i'll be able to i'll be able to dish out once i catch my uh section of psyche It'll be insane that's yeah, my side hustle rolexes, next yeah. yes space rolexes that might be a thing in the future there you go um anyway so uh, judd i'd need you to mention i i would be remiss if we didn't mention the propulsion of this thing this spacecraft is propelled by solar electric propulsion it is essentially what we're doing is we're using some magnets to manipulate xenon gas in a way that accelerates it out of the back of a thruster, for example, out of the back of our spacecraft and accelerates our spacecraft forward. It creates thrust. Yeah. So what we've done for this spacecraft is we've put around 2,400 pounds of xenon gas on board, which is a lot for a gas, um, and we're going to use that to propel it into space. Is after xenon a... Noble gas. Noble gas? Yes. Yeah, okay. Did you say that? No. Okay. It is. I just said it now. Oh, okay. No, <laughs> sorry. I was just trying to tell if I, see if I... I Remembered I, your chemistry yeah. stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the noble gas, which is probably part of why we use it, because it's not very reactive. Right. Um, so it doesn't, it's not going to really... I say we put hydrogen on it. ...the tanks. That's a bad idea. <laughs> helium. Um, well, helium's a noble gas. Never mind. That would be it. Yeah, helium doesn't... I mean, it's still more reactive than xenon. We probably want xenon because it's bigger... In terms of mass of noble gases, right? It's one of the bigger ones. That's also probably a part of it, yeah. Um, But an interesting part about these thrust systems is uh, solar electric propulsion for the Psyche spacecraft um, creates about 240 millinewtons of thrust. So this is about the exact same as holding a AA battery in your hand. So the AA battery is going to exert 240 millinewtons on your hand. Just like the weight of it pressing down on you? Yeah, so it's it's not a very... uh, it's not pushing this spacecraft, which is going to weigh thousands of pounds. NASA has <laughs> invested about $1.2 billion on this mission, and it's going to travel a total of 2.2 billion miles, which is really far. Just billion to go with a on, K. No, with a B. Oh. Um, just to go 200 and... To be able to go 2.2 billion miles on 240 millinewtons yeah. of force is pretty cool. So. Yeah, no, I, I agree. But in the reason that works... Why is it, Judd? Why is it that in space it works? There's not, there's not much friction pushing back on the... Yeah, exactly. We're, not, like, we're in a vacuum. Once we get deep space, we're not pushing yeah. on much gravity issues. Yeah. So we can just um, coast, and it builds up over time, this uh, little thrust. And the cool thing about the, the ion or the xenon ion propulsion, it has this, like, out of the thruster, it's got this blue kind of glow. Yeah. It's very high-tech looking, very spacey. Uh, looking so not just their typical like okay lots of fire it's like ooh maybe a little more science fiction i believe that's due to the choice of xenon gas i'm not certain about that but i believe the xenon gas how they manipulate it with the magnets makes that blue glow if i start huffing xenon am i going to start like farting blue i don't know but cherikov radiation is blue and that stuff's pretty cool cherikov i don't i'm not familiar with that it's 
like if you look into a nuclear reactor, like the water that's oh, the blue yeah. glow that yeah. comes from the nuclear reactor. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's talk about goals quickly with the Psyche mission. Um, I'm going to go fast because we're running out a little bit out of time. Um, but speaking of time today, guys, we were getting like, it was insane media day. We we were getting swarmed uh, basically by the Be press. Be on the lookout for some, for some new Fire content. picks. Absolutely fire picks. Yeah, hopefully um, sometime the week this episode rolls out. But anyway... So the goals, a couple of the important goals that I thought um, was that they, so they, we talked about this, understand a previously unexplored building block of planet formation, aka iron cores. Um, and also, we're not, uh, just to be clear, we're not 100% sure this is the core of an early planet because it could be, or an early planet like Earth, it could be the early core of a kind of planet we haven't seen before. We've right. seen gas giants, we've seen terrestrial planets like ours. Maybe there's something new millions, billions of years down the line that presents itself. So there's that. The other important one <laughs> is that we want to determine if Psyche is melted or not yet. Because we can't tell from this far away, I oh, think, yeah. if Maybe. it's melted or not, or if it's cooling in the process. What process of cooling is it in? That's interesting. I'm, yeah, and I would guess, I don't know how much we could determine, but I know a lot of that has to do with just the pressure at that. So we could maybe figure that out from what we know here on Earth, but I guess maybe not. I don't know. Well, so let's run through the pieces of technology that are on board this thing that are going to be part of the mission. And we get to talk about this more in the future as um, a, a year or two goes by or whatever, and we start actually, the spaceship starts doing stuff on this asteroid. But we've got a magnetometer. Magnetometer. Anyway, it's measuring the changes in a magnetic field. So um, that's one way to determine properties yeah. of the metals that are on this is magnetics. That makes sense. Also, they well, have to... S- I think it's more if the... If this core is creating a magnetic field. Oh, like, that, you're right. That's sorry. You're right. right. Yeah, we want to determine if there's something inside that's spinning. like moving and yeah. just like on Earth. Okay, yes. Judd, you're so right. Um, then we got the multispectral imager, which uses high-resolution pictures uh, to determine between the components on the surface. So kind of like on Bennu, they had one that was taking pictures trying to determine, um, I think he said it was a spectroscopy scan or something like that. Yeah, spectroscopy. Press spectroscopy. Wow. It's Full a tough word. Yeah. I, I can't even... I, you heard me stumble over Yeah, there. But anyway, so like all it means is we get to take pictures and determine what these components are before we're reaching down and grabbing them. And then they also got something called a gamma ray and neutron spectrometer. Boom, there it goes, Judd. Spectroscopy. Spectrometer, yep, yep. Um, anyway, so that's just looking at... They can measure the energy signatures that are coming off of the components um, to determine what they might be, like gamma radiation or science shit. Um, and they have to... <laughs> hold this thing out on a six-foot boom, like, stand away from the spaceship because of the high-energy particles that are inside the spacecraft and in space right. um, might be influencing the readings from this sensitive instrument. Because, I mean, come on, like, imagine how sensitive the instrument has to be to measure, to determine a composition just based off of the energy that's radiating off of stuff. If we think about, for example, what's the... Uh this, the telescope, the big one, James Webb. We think about James Webb. It has a an, an entire solar shield to avoid the particles from the sun getting in the image of the camera. So it right. has to make it super, essentially black in that area yeah. and, and the heat as well. So you're saying we got to do a lot of stuff to avoid unwanted information. Yeah, and yeah. so I, that, I think that's, yeah. Anyways, keep going. X-ray gravity experiment. <laughs> this is genius. X, no, X-band. Um, I'm swearing a lot this episode. Yeah, Sorry about that. Um, I'm, I'm energized. I saw something that says high performance people swear more. 
I did hear that too. I've never heard you swear before. Have I mentioned that? <laughs> Gosh, that I was good. I don't swear. I never do. <laughs> so the X-band gravity science thing, basically the, the asteroid itself isn't uniform. It's not like a perfect circle. So the way that the gravity is around it is going to change. So when we're orbiting an object, we need to make sure we are aware of the gravitational changes. And so there's a radio communication thing going on between Earth and this spacecraft. In the way that the radio is changing as it's getting to us, the radio waves can tell us about the gravitational effects on the asteroid, and we can start to map like what that gravitational field looks like. Finally, this is maybe the most important thing besides just collecting data on the asteroid, which is they're testing the deep space optical communication, which is essentially NASA's done using radio waves to communicate with their satellites and all this stuff. NASA has this thing called the Deep Space Network, Spain, Australia, United States. They all have these giant radio dishes that communicate yeah. with our objects in deep space. But we want to be able to, we're trying to do bigger projects now. We need to be able to send more information faster. And so what we're doing is we're energizing photons and shooting them at near infrared light or, or, or at, at near infrared wavelengths back to Earth. And we can decode um, this information shooting this like a, intergalactic laser back towards the planet. Not so like a visible one. They're shooting like, it into this network that, of t space telescopes that we have. Or, or I think I think they might have some new system to capture this laser. So okay. we're not shooting it back at the radio. Oh, okay. I understand. So now we're saying, can we do it with this with photons? With lasers, yeah. Um, and then that's actually all I have. Cool. <sighs> that's it. What a great episode. It was awesome. Yeah, uh, make sure to uh, interact with some of our posts on Instagram. I think we're going to be doing some more viewer interaction type yes. deals here soon. And so let you maybe even decide. Comments. Yeah, and maybe even leave a... Uh, Topic idea. Yes, I was going to say. We're always interested to hear what you're interested in. Yeah, so exactly. Go um, go check us out on our socials uh, where you can keep up to date with all like news that we see. If you want to hear more about the Psyche mission, I mentioned that like a week ago, you know, and you can hear this stuff as soon as it happens uh, if you're following us there. Um, but anyway, thanks so Three, much for listening. Two, Bye. one. Bye.